Welcome back to the ancient art of modern warfare. I'm Chris Mayer. In the last podcast, I said I wanted to discuss some of the enduring elements of war that seem obsolete but are still important today. I have some great speakers lined up for the topics of honor, just war, and the laws and customs of war. I also said that I'd wind up getting drawn back to the issue of mercenaries, which are in fact a real example of an ancient practice with modern applications. And so, I'm back on that topic today. In the last couple of times I spoke in public on this topic, I asked if anyone in the audience could tell me the difference between mercenary, PMSC, PSC, and PMC. I was really hoping to get some discussion going. Unfortunately, I got almost no response. The one response I did get was from someone who should know the answer to all of these. I won't say his name, but um, he was in my last podcast. Even his answer showed that there are still differing ideas about the basic phrases critical to understanding the issue of the apparent privatization or the denationalization of war. In a different podcast, another guest and I discussed the difference between Russian quasi-mercenary organizations and Western-style PMSCs and why it was important to understand that difference. We also pointed out that the Russians make every effort to blur that distinction. Unfortunately, the Russians aren't the only ones doing that. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke on a panel on Capitol Hill with the title of Putin's Shadow Warriors. And then a few hours later, I was at New America for the rollout of a paper by Candace Rondeau called Decoding the Wagner Group. At both events, someone asked if these Russian armed groups aren't just like Blackwater. And that was after the speakers had already described how these Russian groups differ from Western contractors. Then, in a radio interview last week, a popular author and commentator on these issues said that the difference between mercenaries and military contractors comes down to labels, and that there really isn't much of a difference. Well, labels are important, especially when there is a difference. When you fuel up your car, the pump has labels for different types of fuel. Some of the definitions we use for contractors on the battlefield are nuanced, like the difference between octane grades of gasoline. The difference between mercenary and military or security contractor, however, is more like the difference between gasoline and diesel. Words mean things. I'll begin with the term mercenary. This word carries a lot of baggage with it, and very little of that is good. There's also competing definitions of mercenary. These fall into two broad categories, a common definition like you'd find in a dictionary or encyclopedia, and is generally intelligible to most people, and definitions in international law that are similar to one another, but with important distinctions and, like most legal definitions, is difficult to understand. Among the common definitions, I think two stand out as most useful. The Oxford English Dictionary defines mercenary as a soldier paid to serve in a foreign army or other military organization. It's still not perfect. The term other military organization is somewhat vague. The Cambridge definition is a little more specific, defining mercenary as a soldier who fights for a foreign country or group for pay, with a link to their definition of soldier, which includes someone who fights when there is a war. Although I want to avoid the perpetual competition between Oxford and Cambridge, whenever you hear me use the term mercenary, I'll be using the Cambridge definition. The definitional problem begins with the Encyclopedia Britannica. 
which states that a mercenary is a hired professional soldier who fights for any state or nation without regard to political interests or issues. That last qualifier, without regard to political interests or issues, is the crux of the definition in various international conventions, such as Additional Protocol 1 to the Geneva Conventions and the United Nations Mercenary Convention. These definitions include about five different elements, all of which must be satisfied for someone to meet the legal definition of mercenary. The key element reflecting the Britannica definition is motivated to take part in the hostilities, essentially by the desire for private gain, and, in fact, is promised by or on behalf of a party to the conflict material compensation substantially in excess of that promised or paid to combatants of similar rank and functions in the armed forces of that party. Aside from the legalese, this is difficult for two reasons. First, motivation is very hard to prove. Just because someone's paid a substantial amount of money doesn't mean that the money is his or her essential motivation for taking part in hostilities. I suppose that such persons exist, but history since the Renaissance indicates that they are more the exception than the rule. Excessive material compensation is almost an irrelevant factor. For example, I could hire a Ugandan at $450 a month to work under a Defense Department contract, and this could wind up being one-eighth the compensation of a U.S. Army private deployed to the same combat zone. The international law definition is not only hard to understand, it's not useful. And besides, the United States is not a party to any of these conventions. So, as I said, I'll stick to the common Cambridge definition of mercenary as a soldier who fights for a foreign country or group for pay. Next, Private Military and Security Company, or PMSC. Many people say that an agreed definition for PMSC does not exist. I disagree. Fifty-six governments and three international organizations endorsed the Montreux Document, and that's about as close to an international consensus as one can get, and it's significantly greater than the number of governments that are parties to the UN Mercenary Convention. The Montreux Document defines PMSC as private business entities that provide military and or security services irrespective of how they describe themselves. Military and security services include, in particular, armed guarding and protection of persons and objects such as convoys, buildings, and other places, maintenance and operation of weapon systems, prisoner detention, and advice to or training of local forces and security personnel. It's not perfect, but it's workable. This definition actually includes two roles, private military companies and private security companies. It also excludes companies that fight in combat, a problem when talking about Russian organizations like Wagner. For the private security company role, we can go to a definition based on U.S. law, which also forms the definition in the International Code of Conduct and the ISO standards for PSC operations. That is, a company performing private security functions for a government, itself, or a third party, consisting of guarding or protecting personnel, facilities, designated sites, property, or any other activity for which personnel are required to carry weapons in the performance of their duties in accordance with the terms of their contract. The U.S. law also includes the restriction that contractors performing private security functions are not authorized to perform inherently governmental functions 
and specifically combat. These functions are not uniquely military or governmental. There are estimates that 80% or more of PSC services are performed for the private sector, including operations in places where there is an ongoing armed conflict. Now we come to private military companies. Now, here there is legitimate confusion. When the term first became popular, it meant firms like Executive Outcomes and Sandline. These companies were legitimately organized and sought to operate within the bounds of national and international law, yet offered services that included combat on behalf of legitimate governments. With the publication of the Montreux document, the understanding of PMC changed to be companies that provided maintenance and operation of weapon systems and advice to or training of local forces and security personnel. It did not include combat. The definition of the UN Working Group on Mercenaries also moved away from PMCs as combat providers. It offers a definition of military services as specialized services related to military actions or including strategic planning, intelligence, investigation, land, sea, or air reconnaissance, flight operations of any type, manned or unmanned, satellite surveillance, any kind of knowledge transfer with military applications, material and technical support to the armed forces, and other related activities. Once again, however, it does not include combat. Although some people still use PMC to describe combat provider companies, and combat provider companies may still exist, the drift has been to use it to describe functions beyond guarding personnel and property and which support inherently military functions other than direct participation in combat. Each of these definitions describe specific categories or functions performed in conflict areas. For PMSC, PSC, and PMC, they're like the different grades of gasoline. If you use 87-octane leaded gasoline in an engine that requires 93-octane unleaded, you can do some serious but not irreparable damage to your engine. On the other hand, if you use 91-octane unleaded in an engine designed for 87-leaded, and those engines still exist, there will be minimal adverse effect. Mercenary, however, is a difference of nature, not a simple variation or flavor. It is, as I said before, like the difference between gasoline and diesel. In logical debate, the proper definition of terms is critical. Unless we use terms in a way that all parties know what those terms mean and how to distinguish them from other, often related terms, we can't know what we're talking about. In all of these podcasts, I want to encourage listeners to engage in the public debate on these issues, to take up your responsibilities as citizens of the Republic. Although I hope you agree with me in these podcasts, you're free to disagree with me on any of the points I discuss. But only by understanding the terms of the debate can we know whether we are agreeing or disagreeing or what we're agreeing or disagreeing about. So where do Russian organizations like Wagner fit in these definitions? Well, that's the subject for another podcast. Please come back again for the next episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer.